Grab your popcorn and snacks. Find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Good evening, everybody. How's everybody doing today? Good, I hope. It's a nice sunny day here. Not too cold. Cold enough, though. But just cool enough. Fall weather. Fall weather, but very sunny. Very, very nice day to be out. My name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host for the next hour, and I'm also the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento, California. We are 45 strong up and, up and down the state, which means if you have a need somewhere, we can get to you. Definitely get to you. It might take us a couple hours, but... Uh, like I said, we'll get to you. We also have affiliates in Oregon, Washington, Nevada, and Hawaii, if you need help in those places as well. Again, my name is Charlotte, and I've, I've been doing this for about 25 years. I've been a radio host for about 15 years. So here we are, you know, it's, it's been a fun ride. Anyway, if you're watching from Facebook, please be sure to follow, because we're always looking for followers. If you're watching from California Haunts Ghostly Events on Facebook, please be sure to follow there as well. And um, if you're watching from YouTube, there's that little ghost in the bottom right-hand corner with the magnifying glass and the Sherlock Holmes hat. And uh, click on that, and that'll show you the subscribe button, because, of course, we're always looking for subscribers. And for up-to-date news about the show, uh, check out the community page on YouTube. That's new, where they've added, a, for at least for us, our show, where they've added a community page, and it's kind of like a Facebook page, only for people that are just solely subscribers on YouTube to stay in touch with everything that's going on. My guest tonight is, is, is interesting in that, uh, you know, we, we very seldom have um, anybody talking about witchcraft or anything like that on the show. We did, you know, for Halloween, of course, but uh, this man teaches witchcraft. And, uh, yeah, anyway, I'm going to bring him in um, before I botch his name, <laughs> you know. Uh, I'm going to let him give you his title and his name and all that, and that, that way we start out clean. Okay, all right, let me do that. Good evening, sir. Hi. How you doing? I am doing pretty well. Thank you very much. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Let's have your name and your title and all that. We can start off. Ah, uh, yeah. So my official title is Right Reverend Phoenix Coffin Williams. Um, mm -hmm. I am an archpriest in the Corellian Nativist Church of Wicca, which is a church for people who practice witchcraft, Wicca, and related magical kind of faiths. How cool is that? How does one become a teacher? You got to study first. Um, so I've studied for a remarkable amount of time for actually more than half my life at this point. Um, went through some mentorship, went through some training. And then, you know, once I got the, you know, education under my belt, I decided to move forward and do the teaching aspect and kind of continue the work that my mentors did before me. What got you interested in that? I mean, you just don't wake up one day going, I want to be a warlock or I want to be a witch. For some, they do. Um, <laughs> for me, uh, I was raised um, with a heavy faith uh, growing up. Um, and I was also raised with the ability to choose how I wanted to express my faith. 
Mm-hmm. And so uh, stumbling across witchcraft, um, Wicca and like magical practices really kind of made sense in a way that other faiths did not make sense. Um, there was a lot of room for unique personal expression and identity. There was a lot of you know personal accountability. Um, there was no aspect of covering up for people in the organization who might be doing bad things, maybe to children like other you know priesthoods, mm-hmm. uh, which I really found particularly phenomenal. Um, and there was a big push towards you know equity amongst gender and sexes and you know the way that people could you know possibly present themselves and that was like really attractive to me and so that's how how i made a commitment to study witchcraft um and then the more i got involved the more i started meeting people the more i you know started reading uh the more i was kind of like no this really fits this is a great worldview to be a part of uh and so it resonates with me not only on a spiritual level but also on like a socio-political level as well well, you know, when people think about witches, you know, there's a, it's the movies, right? That's the first thing people think about is, 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 is the spells and then the bad things they do. But, but witches aren't bad, are they? No, uh, not inherently. You know, there's good people and then there are less savory people. It's the same thing in the faith. There are people who need various degrees of healing or who need various degrees of, you know, reorientation. Um, and so the faith can absolutely provide that. Uh, and then there are people who will choose to express themselves in ways that are more dominating, more controlling, more vengeful, or what have you. Um, and, you know, of course, there's a place for people like that as well. You know, mm-hmm. um, everyone's allowed to be themselves and everyone is allowed to reckon with what that means for their own individual spirit. If someone wants to become a witch, what? What steps do they have to take? Well, they make a determination. Uh, this is what I want to learn. Um, so you can learn about witches in witchcraft. You can learn about magic in the faith without actually having to commit to being a witch. Uh, so there are people in the faith who do argue that witches in particular are the clergy of the faith. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a priest, a priestess, a priestess, um, for people who are moving in a gender non-conforming, non-binary, trans kind of, you know, lifestyle mm-hmm. and who are, you know, actualizing themselves in that kind of way. Um, and then there are those who just kind of like celebrate and don't necessarily need to take an oath or a commitment to any particular deity or spirit. So if someone wanted to just say maybe study magic, um, there are plenty, plenty of good and bad and helpful and like nonsensical Um, books out there, which we can consider them like textbooks. Um, And these books can, like, if you start to get a feel for, you know, the literature in the field, be able to, you know, recognize, oh, this is like a helpful book. Uh, This book talks about the faith. This book talks about the approach to the goddess and the god. Um, This book is a great approach for helping recognize about ancestors. This book is a good book for helping, you know, helping you recognize how to organize your spells and your prayers and your candles and your herbs um, and so on and so forth. And then, oh, this book is like really kind of fantasy or this book is really just kind of a little nonsensical um, in the same way that like other literature can be either helpful or it can be a little harmful, you know, depending on the the intention of the author. But the first step is to definitely get involved with that literature, do some personal research, 
um, and you know maybe even start to learn where your biases are as far as like what a witch is or what do you think is possible as far as the spirit world is concerned. A question in the chat room is: Do, is, do witches have a god? Absolutely, we have several. Um, there are some who will consider themselves polytheistic and only worship one goddess um, or will devote themselves to one god. But to a large degree, we are polytheistic, some soft polytheistic, meaning that every god that we can conceive of is just one aspect of a greater universal god. Or we can be hard polytheistic, which is, you know, every god is a separate entity and there are multiple gods that are out there for us to choose from or interact with. Okay, cool, cool, cool. My thought comes to, as a ghost hunter, you know, I've gone out on cases where people have been dabbling with, say, voodoo or witchcraft, and they, they, you know, they've inadvertently brought something in that they shouldn't have brought in. What is the risk for people, you know, when they get involved with this of doing that? Uh, the risk is pretty decent. It's, you know, remarkably high. Um, it One, magic is not a toy. It can be very fun. The faith can be fun, but it's not a game and it's not a toy. And so uh, there's a formula that you get to know that you study. And when you put that formula to use, if you don't do the formula in the right kind of way, let's say you don't banish after you invoke, then maybe whatever you called stays in your home. Mm -hmm. uh, it attaches itself to your personal aura, attaches itself to the aura of your pets. It sticks to the walls inside your house. Then you and your partner start fighting, you and your kids start having disagreements and that energy feeds it. Um, you open a doorway through invocation in your home and you don't shut it, the door stays open. And now any manner of astral being is now free to go back and forth in between that door, impacting your life and you know your virtue, what have you, in any way that it sees fit. Okay, okay. And the interesting thing about this is, is that the way that your thoughts are programmed, the, how you think about the world will dictate what gets attracted to the doorway that you open. That makes a lot of sense. It does make it makes a ton of sense. Yeah. How um like like when you're starting to teach this, like like you say, there's certain ways you can go with 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 teaching this. What what I mean, there's certain there's there are certain steps, there's certain levels that people have to take. Uh, in my tradition, we have a three tier system or a three level system: first degree, mm -hmm. second degree, third degree. Um, there are some systems that go as high as fifth degree, as far as I know. And then in some ceremonial magic, kind of you've ever heard of the Golden Dawn or the OTO as, you know, systems, they go up ninth degrees, um, mm -hmm. maybe 10th degree. Uh, I'm not 100% sure. Um, but uh, in my system, there are three degrees of like clergyhood. Um, and, you know, the first degree is the most basic degree um, and you learn you know, enough to get you to practice safely in accordance with a system that will help you, you know, maintain your personal boundaries, your spiritual boundaries, that'll help you manifest the desires that you have for your life so that you can have a rich, full, and meaningful life. And then the second degree helps, you know, helps you recognize patterns across, you know, various lives. So mm -hmm. a lot of times if you meet a witch, you might meet, be talking to someone who believes in reincarnation. So that's kind of like there's a past life and then there's also like a future life. And depending on where they are in that study, you can get them to, you know, help you 
understand, contemplate, meditate on, and get information from a previous life that you've lived. Mm-hmm. Help you uncover any karmic cycles that you might be, you know, stuck in or might be participating in. Um, and, you know, get information that way. So maybe why certain things keep happening, why maybe people in your family fall victim to addiction or diabetes or, you know, certain types of abuses. And then once you get to the third degree, uh, you not only get information about how to, you know, work with past lives, but you also get some techniques on how to craft future lives um, and also how to change fates and change these kind of soul contracts that you enter in before you're even born. So these all have like varying degrees of theology attached that will take a lot of time to kind of go through. Um, but you know, the varying degrees are just kind of like ways that you can deal with the larger idea of the soul and how that emanates throughout the life um, or various life cycles. Okay. Question in the chat room is, um, if you do a spell against someone who um, has done you harm, will that spell come back to do you harm? Depends on, you know, how you frame the spell. If you cast a spell and it's just for justice, then you in the clear, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if you happen to add wording that piles on some stuff that maybe they don't deserve because like you salty and butt hurt, then there is a possibility that it can, you know, backfire on you. So if you are looking for justice, the best thing that I suggest is just write their name, get a picture of them and just sandwich it in between two mirrors. Right. That way they're only getting back what they throw out and you don't run the risk of adding anything, you know, because you've got a hurt ego about it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, when you talk about, um, you know, opening the door, stuff coming through that door. Do you also teach uh, pr- uh, protection techniques to these students? Absolutely. Absolutely. So we talk about effective ways to open the door, effective ways to close the door. And, you know, every ritual that we teach or when we teach people how to write their own effective rituals, we make sure, you know what, make sure you got the door closed in there. Make sure you close up your aura. Make sure that you indeed are able to put down anything that you do raise up. It's a matter of responsibility. Because if you mess around and do a ritual that's maybe not formatted the right way, maybe doesn't have all the steps and things start going wrong in your life, you as an individual, me as an individual, the one who worked at that ritual is still responsible for what happens, Mm -hmm. right? Like it really isn't a, the devil made me do it, or, you know, the trickster spirit that came in made me do it. Like no one made you do the ritual the wrong way. Like double check your work, make sure you got all the steps before you go messing around with, you know, the occult or with archetypes or spiritual entities or thought forms that are older and maybe have a dimension to them that you weren't expecting. How long does it take to become a, I mean, you know, to take the courses and become a witch? About a year and a day if you go through it like very rapidly. Um, But for a lot of folks, you know, you take your time, you do it right. You let the stuff digest and interact with the way that you think and the way that you feel, you know, it can probably take a year and a half. Um, But the quickest that can happen is a year and a day. And it does happen in that way for folks who, you know, have the time and energy to devote their life full time, you know, to the teachings, to the courses and what have you. Um, You can do it as early as a year and a day. You can get your first degree. Cool. Now, going back to what I said earlier, when people think of witches, they think of the the big pot with with the I am mute and all that. How far, I mean, what, what types of herbs are we talking about that 
that, that they practice with and stuff? Uh, one of my favorite uh, herbs to use is called chinke foil or five finger grass. Um, and like it grows, um, what else? Uh, uh, basil, um, rosemary, thyme, burdock, mugwort, um, uh, what else? Um, dandelion, uh, rose, rose mm -hmm. petals, you know, all manner of flowers. Um, when it comes to using plants as a type of medicine, we have uh, a theory um, called the doctrine of signatures, um, which says that, you know, a plant can impact whatever it is that looks like it. So like if you're out in the forest and you see maybe like a plant that looks like a liver, then mm -hmm. the doctrine of signatures teaches that that plant can be used to help impact the liver. If you see a plant that looks like a head or a brain or a skull, then it can be used for the brain. Um, if leaves look like they have eyes on them, then you can use them, you know, to impact the eyes mm -hmm. and so forth. And you can, you, we use that uh, medicinally um, to, for healing. And then we also use that magically for sympathetic magic. So for example, like people are familiar with the idea of a voodoo doll. Mm -hmm. um, but across cultures, not just in, you know, the voodoo faith, across cultures like in Celtic witchcraft or in Mesoamerican witchcraft, we got the idea of the poppet or the doll. Um, it, that, it, that follows a process called sympathetic magic, where something, you know, that looks like something else that is, you know, tied to something else can have an impact. You put some eyes on it and maybe behind little eyeballs, you put a plant that looks like an eye. Um, Maybe if you want to make it even more lifelike in the area where the heart goes on the plant, you put bleeding heart flowers, like those look just like hearts. Um, and you put that in there. Um, you um, <clears throat> want it to feel super duper lifelike. Maybe you put some sticks in the doll so that it feels like it has bones. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's kind of the theory behind uh, how the doctrine of signatures work. Um, and then we also have what's called the theory of contagion, which is if something that is blessed touches something that is not blessed, the thing automatically becomes blessed. If something that is cursed, something touches something that is not cursed, that automatically becomes cursed. Um, and so that's kind of like how, you know, things can like spread maybe via household or what have you. Um, it's like maybe someone is out diddling about in a park or a cemetery and they come across like a jar it clearly looks like it's a witch's jar, but for some reason, someone picks it up anyway. Now they've caught the contagion, so to speak. And then they go home and they are touching doorknobs or they're touching, you know, other people in the house, giving mom hugs and kisses. And now mom's caught the contagion. She passes it to dad. Dad passes it to uncle and so on and so forth. You know, that's kind of like how these things kind of get caught up in, in people's lives. Mm -hmm. The question is, why do witches... Why have witches over the years gotten such, such a bad rep? Politics. Uh, one of the things to consider is that the witches who were the clergy of, you know, uh, indigenous European religion or indigenous Mesoamerican religion or indigenous African religion, they were all branded witches by invading Christian forces. Um, and so in order to 
gain control over the populace, over the common people who are a lot of times not very educated, um, pretty disenfranchised in their own right. They were branded, you know, witch, evil, devil worshiper, you know, um, doing harm associated with, you know, maledictions in some way. And, you know, there's this, you know, kind of whole smear campaign, not to mention, you know, the hangings that occurred in the United States and in Europe. And, you know, to a degree, people who were labeled witch in some parts of Africa, in some parts of South America, still hanged. Uh, still, you know, there's, there's a famous story. Um, maybe it's 10 years old now, um, but there was a child that uh, everyone thought was, you know, a witch and consorted with demons, tied to a fence and burned. Uh, and this is 21st century behavior. Um, so the the media is still replete with, you know, lack of education, willful ignorance, um, and still kind of like a power play over the populace. Um, mm -hmm. See some churches seem to do really, really well financially. Um, and then like other churches don't do super well financially. Um, it, it's kind of evidence of viewing the common people as a source of income for people who want to take advantage of, you know, fear, people's hopes for an afterlife, people's mm -hmm. desires for, you know, healing and freedom based on faith, distrust of science or what have you. Um, it, it, it all comes to a head. Uh, and then, of course, there are some faiths that believe that uh, an end of times or an apocalypse is inevitable. Mm -hmm. And the idea of witchcraft, that doesn't really fly. You mm -hmm. know, um, we're not facing an end of days. Our nature is renewal, uh, returning to its source and coming back again, you know, regenerative uh, and things of that nature. Um, and so in a place like the United States, where we're all kind of like put here and, you know, the, the instruction for civility is to put up with the fact that people are different um, without causing harm, like we kind of see like this clash, mm -hmm. a clash for control, um, a clash for maybe wanting to make the nation a certain way, um, a clash for, you know, kind of dictating whose bodies, you know, are regulated in the government, which is, again, something that's very uh, contradictory to witchcraft faith. Um, there's very, you know, live and let live. Uh, so all that kind of comes to a head and we see that kind of fighting uh, for control and, you know, trying to, you know, have a dominant kind of worldview. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, unfortunately, you know, the clergy of the witchcraft faith fell victim a lot of times. In old Europe, had their sacred places desecrated, had churches built over them. In the United States, legislation has to be passed in order to get witches the freedom to practice. Um, there are some landmark uh, Supreme Court cases that, you know, allows for people to practice certain rituals that uh, states tried to have outlawed. Um, and the government was kind of like, nah, you can't really do that. Um, you can't really make laws about religion in such a degree here uh, and so on. So, you know, it's kind of like an ongoing thing. Uh, still to this day, there's um, a festival that I teach at uh, yearly called Witches Fest USA. It's in Manhattan, New York. And uh, still we've got pretty antagonistic um, protesters who will come and try to disrupt and, you know, 
use kind of all manner of bastardizations and derisions to kind of, you know, hurt our image and hurt our event and like prevent us from like really just being peaceful and loving on ourselves and each other and, you know, celebrating our faiths. Kind of a shame. Absolutely. Question in the chat room is why does the theory of contagion okay, why does theory of contagion or blessed work work only one way and not become neutralized? Couldn't there be also be a theory of neutralization? What happens if a blessed thing or a cursed item touch each other? Uh, I guess if so ideally it depends on intent. Um I also you could consider if uh blessed thing and a cursing touch each other you know the both of the kind of elements like live inside an object mm -hmm. could neutralize for sure depending on you know what the intention was kind of you know which intention is stronger um what plant allies are stronger uh will kind of determine the fate of that but ideally you know the universe wants to move towards a balance towards a um the word I'm looking for. Uh, um, crap, the, the word is escaping me. Um, wants to move towards progress and reunion and reconciliation. Um, and so, crap, I'm blanking out on the word. Um, <laughs> it's uh, the idea that the universe is working towards the greatest good of everything. Pronoia, pronoia. Okay. Boom, that's the word. So it's the idea that naturally things exist maybe in more or less a blessed state and everything is moving in this direction of I want to be serving the highest good. I want to be serving, you know, the best possible outcome. So if a blessed object encounters a cursed object, they meet together. The highest good and the best possible outcome is believed to naturally, you know, work its way out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Is meditation a form of witchcraft? Uh, Sam, reading this question: if, Is meditation a form of witchcraft, being as it is all about intentions? Meditation is not a form of witchcraft. However, witches do meditate. So, meditation is a technique of working with your own mind, um, working with that own inner dialogue, and you know, just a way of focusing. So, witches can use meditation and can develop that skill as a way of, you know, manifesting their intentions. But by itself, meditation is not witchcraft. Okay. I have a question too. Like, you know, like you talk about high priestesses, you know, and stuff like that. Do witches um, specialize in, in whatever ability they, they have? Or is it a one shot all where they can get their books out and, you know, do the spells and everything? So yeah, people can specialize. Um, some people choose to specialize in, maybe a technique called soul retrieval. Maybe someone will choose to specialize in a study of herbs for medicinal practices and healing practices. Um, some people might uh, choose to specialize exclusively in astral travel um, or working with the spirits of the dead um, in necromancy, um, which by the way, like necromancy can just be as easy as practicing mediumship. I mean, it's just working with the spirits of the dead. Um, for, you know, manifestation and divination purposes. Um, but yeah, so yes, yeah, specializations can absolutely occur. Or there are people who choose to be like pretty well-rounded, you know, choose to you know, perfect whatever techniques they are interested in. Okay. You know, when you, uh, we've been reading about the Salem witch trials and 
you know, I feel bad for those women because they were accused of a lot of stuff, you know, leaving their bodies to, to, to stand in front of people. God forbid you were psychic back then, you know, right. back in the old days. But I mean, are witches, do witches have that capability to go out of body and then like go, go, you know, go different places? Yeah, we call it astral projection. Um, and, right. you know, their uh, outer body experiences on purpose and we work to perfect that. Uh, meditation is one of the tools that we use for, to perfect astral projection. Um, but yeah, absolutely. Leave the body, do that. Uh, and so one of the functions is like we use the astral plane as like the vehicle for moving from place to place. Mm-hmm. Um, which we believe the astral plane is just like a plane of existence that's superimposed upon the physical world. It's superimposed upon the emotional world, superimposed on the mental world or what have you. Um, and so we use our minds, we use our focused attention and our will to enter that plane on purpose, move about, gather information. Um, some people even say, if you've ever heard of the Akashic records, like those are stored on the astral plane. And so we use you know, astral projection as a tool to maybe go and take a look at you know, our own personal pages, or if we're doing some healing or counseling for someone else, you might take a look at someone else's Akashic record, like their page, and you know, get some information and bring that back. So yeah, so, astral projection, outer body experience, totally a thing. So is witchcraft? Because um, I know I have friends, a couple of friends that, that that are witches, practicing witches up in Washington, uh, Washington State. Is, is is it more of a um, earth-based thing? You know, uh, like the elements and all that, as opposed to something evil, like like everybody says it is. Absolutely. Uh, one of the ways that we describe um, witchcraft or Wicca um, or what have you is that it's an earth-based religion. Um, so Druidry, earth-based religion. Um, as an example, um, I have some friends in Washington State who uh, are witches. Uh, the Aquarian Tabernacle, for sure. Um, so shout out to Dusty and Belladonna Laveau, if y'all are listening. Um <laughs> But yeah, uh, the four elements of creation and then the fifth being spirit are uh, kind of (laughs) cardinal, um, are uh, one of the central components of our belief system. And um, if we want to manifest something very purely, um, we will call upon some energetic assistance from, you know, each of the four directions from the earth, the air, the fire, the water, and then from spirit or from, you know, God, goddess, our ancestors, um, depending on what your orientation is. So like not everyone will call upon the ancestors um, and not everyone will choose to call upon a goddess or a God. Um, but the, the fifth element, that spirit is kind of a thing that enlivens, you know, those other four elements. And that's kind of how we look to, you know, for our faith. Is this like anything else where, like, you know, I work with psychics on my team or mediums where some have, uh, I'm not going to say it to be mean or anything, but, you know, as you're working with them, you notice that some have more ability than others. Is, is that is it like that with, with the witches? Yeah. Yep. Uh, we can develop our abilities. Uh, some people are born already remembering that they have psychic abilities. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they practice and, you know, some of the exercises that we go through in our lessons will jumpstart our abilities and, you know, we can use them to greater facilitation. And then some people struggle with remembering that we all have these abilities. And so, you know, that struggle will rep- 
will, you know, kind of manifest in how they are able to do their work um, or pick up or receive, you know, the, the details from spirit. But the thing to remember is that every single person, every human being is born with the ability to channel and communicate with God, with goddess, with the spirit world. Um, and the hard part is just remembering all the ways that we can do it. Okay. Okay. Um, are there spell books? Absolutely. Um, there are spell books that are printed every single day. Um, and then there are some older grimoires that um, folks worked with, like, you know, the Key of Solomon or the Goetia um, as an example. Mm -hmm. um, uh, the Egyptian Book of the Dead is a religious text that, you know, is also frequently cited. Um, so yeah, there are, there are spell books out there. Um, and those can be used word for word as, you know, a formula to, you know, manifest or can be used as a guide or like as a template to help you write your own spells, um, write your own rituals. Mm -hmm. Question from the chat room is, she says this question from a friend watching with her who just joined, who just joined the show. What should someone look for and ask for when joining a coven or a church of witches? That's a really good question. Uh, definitely you want to get a feel for whether or not it's an occult group, O-C-C-U-L-T, or if it's a cult group, C-U-L-T. Uh, so like take a look at the balance of power, take a look at how people are treated. If you are interested in joining our group, interview multiple of the members and ask how they feel. Um, Pay attention to, you know, if they're speaking in common tropes or metaphors um, as a way of like maybe recognizing if there's any brainwashing happening um, and see if, you know, people are really able to use their own voice and their own language to describe their connection to the group, I would definitely say. Um, analyze the way that the group takes money from the people who are participating or how they handle finances. Um, if uh, there's exorbitant fees that are charged and it doesn't seem like there's much being gained, like if a group is you know, trying to offer you some super duper secret enlightenment kind of stuff and you pay all this money and you know, you're not getting super duper enlightenment kind of stuff, it's probably bad news bears. Cause like, once again, when it comes to the promises that a faith, you know, makes, it really does depend on like that personal effort. Like there's not really a group out there that can be like, I can teach you how to be enlightened. Um, it's really kind of, I can provide you with steps, exercises, or, you know, a formula to work towards enlightenment. Um, but really that personal responsibility does remain on an individual. So grand promises are definitely at the very least an orange flag, if not an all out red flag. Okay. Another question, can you be of the Christian faith and still be a practicing witch? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, cool. Cool, cool, cool. So have you heard, I mean, like, like there's still misnomers about witches and, and what they do. And like you say, just recently over in Africa that that, you know, that that happened. Have you heard of anything in the U.S. happening like that? Uh, not to that extreme. However, um, women will lose custody of their children during divorces. Um, over accusations about witchcraft. 
Um, people will be ostracized at work and the work environment can become pretty untenable uh, if the work culture is heavily slanted in one direction or the other. Um, and those are th that's how you can kind of see it manifest in this kind of way uh, in, you know, the politics that are, you know, that make up the United States. How can you tell if some if, if a witch has cast a spell on you? You can do some divination. You can use a pendulum, use some tarot cards. Um, you can go to a reader and, you know, ask that question. Um, sometimes a witch will want you to know I'm putting a spell on you. Uh, and mm -hmm. if that happens, and like chances are, um, at the very least, by telling you they're putting a spell on you, they've started the process of working on your mind. Um, mm -hmm. So that's one of the things that you can look out for. But definitely the divination is the way to go. Um, there are some folks who can divine and you know figure out exactly what kind of working was done. Um, there are mm -hmm. some folks who can divine and be like, these are the ingredients that were used. Um, but go to a reader. They can tell you what was done, if anything was done. And then, you know, sometimes there's also like witches who can help you break it on the spot or help you, you know, you know, run through the steps of what you need to do in order to break it, maybe what candles you need, what baths you need, um, and what kind of healing needs to happen in order to, you know, tie that up. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I have a friend that lives in, in an apartment, and I've investigated apartments as well, where it's obvious there's something going on. In pot, like, like this one particular apartment, we actually found chicken bones tied up in, in ribbons and all this, you know, down in the, in the driveway. I mean, is there something you can do about activity like that at all if, if, if you're living in some apartment and, and you think that there's dark black magic or even white magic going on in this apartment that's causing th things to move around and stuff? So let's say you are in an apartment building or an apartment complex. You know, there's, you know, uh, five floors and there are six apartments on each floor. Mm -hmm. You can't necessarily go into every single apartment and be like, are you doing magic? Are you doing magic? Why is this happening? Why is this happening? Uh, but one of the things that you can do is just erect a very simple kind of barrier over your home. Um, and, you know, just reaffirm with yourself in your own Holy Spirit. You know, I reject any uncharged, unbalanced or negative energy that might be around this area. You can keep your own place clean. You move into a home and you find some leftover remnants of some what you think might be witchery you know mm -hmm. don't touch it but like get your broom in your dustpan scoop it up put it in the garbage or you know put it in the grill and light it on fire you know get rid of it run through your house clean it uh so keeping your space clean is one of the best ways to make sure that you are not impacted by harmful or unbalanced energy okay, okay. um doing your own affirmations and this is no matter what your faith is but doing your own affirmations with your own higher power guide um that you are living in your truth you are living in your light is you know another one of those uh best ways um incense that um you say a prayer you light your incense the smoke like you know charge the smoke everywhere the smoke goes and you know smoke goes everywhere um just light up the incense let the smoke go everywhere. Let it clear out any charged energy that might be in the space. You can reinforce it by lighting a candle. You can dress the candle in holy oil. You can get some uh, holy water. Um, if you want to go to a church, you can go to a church. If you know how to make your own holy water, make your own holy water. And just go ahead and asperge 
your location. Um, and just on good practice, on good psychic hygiene or good spiritual hygiene, just do that to your home every month anyway. Absolutely. Uh, question in the chat room. What do you think of witch talk? Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> These questions are just flying tonight, boy. So witch talk is a powerful thing to observe, but definitely not something that you want to take so super duper seriously that you like build your life around that advice. Um, anyone can go on TikTok. Anyone can talk about magic or witchcraft um, with varying degrees of accuracy or lunacy um, or psychosis, right? So there are people out there who really do have schizophrenia, schizoaffective disorder, what have you. And in the midst of their psychosis, they're talking crazy things about witchcraft or about God, right? So Christians can be schizophrenic too um, and really be super convincing about what they're telling you. Best I can say about witch talk if you see something that hits home or that offends you, do some more personal research about it um, and let it uh, help you organize what you believe, but not dictate what you believe. Absolutely. Can you tell me about any uh, memorable students that you've had? Uh, yeah. So um, I have... Uh, I have 20 students now, which is, you know, all that we are allowed to take um, at a time uh, through the seminary. Um, but one such student who really only, like, didn't necessarily want to have an initiation, but just wanted to study for the sake of studying and want to make a commitment, was one of the hardest working students that I could think of to date, but mm -hmm. also succumbed very easily to rumors and misinformation in the fantastical. So one of the things that we always had to do together was work on sorting out what was fantasy from what was, you know, a legit part of the faith. Um, so I had to talk to them and make sure that they weren't going, you know, on a unicorn hunt. Um, just as a, like, whether or not you believe unicorns exist is irrelevant. It's not super likely that you're gonna find one and, you know, just, in the forest about in Brooklyn, New York City. Um, and so really that was one of the things that I always kind of stuck out is like having a conversation with a student about, you know, not going on a hunt for a unicorn so they can use that as a magical ingredient. Cool, cool, cool. Another question in the chat room. Why reject someone's energy, negative or not, hang on a second, when you can alchemize it and use it? It's a matter of personal choice. Maybe someone doesn't know how to alchemize it or use it for themselves, so they reject it. Okay. 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 So, is 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 there any particular um, way to help? You? I mean, if if you are like like you say, you can use the herbs to heal and and, and stuff like that. Is there any particular uh, way that you have helped someone heal via witchcraft? Yeah. Uh, I uh, practice um, a type of maybe pastoral counseling and care. Um, and so frequently I will give people readings to help them understand what's going on with their lives and prescribe a candle um, kind of remediation work. Um, sometimes I'll use some Reiki to help people um, recognize that they've got an illness and maybe, you know, could consult a doctor as well as some spiritual healing. Um, most recently, Halloween time, um, 
I did uh, like an ancestor service, which is when we invoke the names of our sacred ancestors, you know, from our family line. They don't necessarily have to be venerated in any kind of way. Um, but I did what's called a cord cutting, which is when you take, you know, a sacred knife or a sacred tool, you pass it over the body and cut any lingering cords to any harmfulness or negativity or things that might be attached. Um, and I use that as a method to help people. And um, then also I mentioned um, a little bit earlier in the segment, a soul retrieval, which is when, you know, we go through various lives um, together or separately in meditation. Uh, mm -hmm. And we look for parts of someone's soul or spirit that has been bound up in a traumatic issue. And it could be this life, like maybe there was a car accident or maybe there was an incident of violence, or maybe there was like some childhood illness that really kind of bound up a portion of someone's soul. You know, and some healing needs to occur around that. So we go back and we find that piece of the soul, we restore it and, you know, make someone a little bit more whole and a little bit more capable of managing their lives moving forward. Um, there's just a few techniques that I do use on purpose. Um, also ongoing participation in yoga um, and that kind of philosophy, even though yoga is not necessarily witchcraft, it is a healing tool that is profoundly spiritually based um, that I recommend and I will use and you know teach uh, to help heal people. Okay. Does someone, when they come for you for help, does someone have to believe in, in witchcraft in order to get the help? They don't have to. Um, but usually if you're coming to a witch for help, you believe in witchcraft. Okay. Because like my, my example is like, there's people that aren't Catholic that, you know, might have a possession and the Catholic priest has to come out or the exorcist has to come out and they have to believe in what the exorcist is doing in order for him to release, you know, whatever's there. That's why I was just curious. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, from my particular perspective um, and the perspective of my church, we would deal with an exorcism maybe a little bit differently than, you know, a Catholic priest would. Um, so maybe we would make offerings to uh, the spirit that's there, or we would, you know, be a little bit more collaborative with the spirit, um, maybe cutting back on any risk for harm or, you know, acting out that occurs during like those more violent um, or sensationalized kind of versions. Uh, but we, we definitely work with spirits in a different way than Catholics do. Mm -hmm. uh, and so like our approach might be like largely, largely different um, than, you know, uh, I don't know. I consider like the exorcism that we see on TV. I, I see that as kind of like violent. Um, there's a show that sensationalized um, exorcisms a little bit. I want to say it was on Netflix first, then it moved to Hulu. It's called Evil. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, we would just be a little bit more collaborative. We would try to make some communication with the spirit. Um, we're not adversaries. Like you're here for a reason. What do we all have to learn from this situation? What it'll take for you to come out of here and, you know, relieve this human being of the burden that's happening here. How can we maybe, you know, help this become, you know, a more tenable situation for everyone involved? Um, maybe make some offerings of wine and rum, maybe use some sweet smelling lotion. Um, 
of course, uh, King Solomon and his grimoire, he was known for getting spirits into a brass vessel. Um, so maybe we'll do something a little bit like that uh, and, you know, kind of help someone that way and be a little bit less, you know, um, uh, invasive. Mm -hmm. Another question we have is, any thoughts on the origins of Reiki techniques being a gift from an agreement with a demon? That's interesting. I've actually never heard Reiki coming from a demon um, or a pact with a demon. Uh, the the way that I was trained to understand Reiki and learn Reiki is that it came from uh, a practitioner from Japan who spent some time meditating under a waterfall, uh, and that had a profound impact on their energetic body. Um, and that's where kind of that, you know, energetic work kind of came from. Um, and then, you know, fast forward to the 21st century, there are some theories that, you know, the natural electrical current that humans just have just by being humans is kind of how that works on a very subtle, um, on a very subtle level. I've never heard of Reiki powers coming from a pack with a demon. There you have it, though, some more sensationalization. Okay. And along that line... Um... Are there any movies that you know of that show witches for what they truly are and not the sensationalized part? No, unfortunately, <laughs> uh, movies, <laughs> their business is sensation. Their business right. is entertainment. Um, so unfortunately, I'm not aware of any movies. Um, but I will say that like, there, if you look hard enough and if you kind of do have a process for letting go of the sensational kind of component. You can see them, um, you can you can see some evidence of like the truth there. Mm -hmm. The reason why I asked is because for, for ghost hunting, a lot of us prefer the movie The Others as being more truthful as to what what you know what a ghost experiences. Mm -hmm. You know, out of all the movies that have been made, that's why I wanted to ask and see if you if you do have any. What do you think is the biggest misnomer about witches? Uh the devil, which is generally don't have any semblance of the devil or Satan in the faith at all whatsoever. Um, that being a wholly Christian adaptation or bastardization of some other kind of like Abrahamic or, you know, Canaanite mythology. Uh, mm -hmm. So, you know, any association with the devil at all is really a big misnomer. And so if you were to let Christians keep that, like you can have the devil, like we don't need it. We have other real life things to worry about mm -hmm. um, than, you know, some creature with a pitchfork and like some horns, like being a pain in the ass all the time, trying to steal our soul and stuff. So if somebody wants, like I said earlier, if somebody wants to become a witch or, or start looking into being a witch, how do you describe it to them? Uh, it's a journey, definitely a journey of self-discovery and figuring out where you orient yourself in, you know, the whole grand scheme of things and you know, really finding your place in the universe and how you use that to the maximum capacity. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of trial and error. Uh, of course, there's the potential for raising something that you can't put down by yourself. And, you know, when that happens, like you definitely start to notice um, and that becomes the challenge for you in your spirit. Right. Because like ideally you don't just like 
let it go. You continue mm-hmm. to gather your strength and you put your life right again. Um, and uh, that would be, I think that I think would be like the biggest thing about witchcraft is that it's more about you in your life and not about what you can do to someone else's life. Okay. Um, for somebody that wants to, again, you know, get into it, where can they look to find, you know, uh, classes or, or, or whatever? Yeah, so we can go to www.witchschool.com. Uh, mm-hmm. That's a seminary that goes along to the church that I am a part of, the Corellian Nativist Church of Wicca. Yeah, you can go to witchschool.com um, and you can sign up for your membership. Uh, you can participate in clergy programs. So you can participate in that first, second, third degree kind of studies. Or you can participate in any ancillary studies that are related to just developing psychic and magical skills um, or helping you orient yourself to the celebration of magic and witchcraft um, as opposed to being you know, a member of the clergy or the priesthood. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Question in the chat room. Is it polite to ask a witch to name the, de- the particular deity the witch works with? Would that be considered a rude question? That's not a rude question. Um, Everyone has their own temperament. But yeah, you can definitely ask which like, hey, do you have a patron? Or who is your patron? Um, or who are the spirits that you work with? Um, or who are the guides or the gods that you associate yourself with? Or what pantheon are you a part of? Um, and so when you ask a question like that, you give someone the freedom to, you know, tell you like, uh, yeah, I work with the Egyptian pantheon. And like, I work with Isis, Osiris, Horus. Um, Amun-Ra, Nephthys, what have you, or they can tell you, yeah, I work with the Greek pantheon, and there's your Zeus, your Hera, your Athena, your Poseidon, so on and so forth, or your Celtic pantheon, and your Caridwen, and um, Dagda, the Tuatha Dei Denon, and, you know, things like that. Um, Mm -hmm. And so it's actually, like, a great way to open up a polite dialogue, um, because asking someone who they work with is way more polite than assuming you know, that they have some kind of orientation that might be based on, you know, media sensationalism or, you know, bad press. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, looking back through the history part of it, you know, and I know that these are, this is a silly question, but like the, the witch, witches are so like thought of with, with the broomstick thing, you know, in the, in the big pot. Where did that come from? We do have two sacred tools, right? We have the broom. Uh, which we use to cleanse sacred space. Like we sweep with it. Okay. <laughs> um, I've heard of that actually to, 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 to cleanse a room to go through and sweep it out. Yeah, I've, I've heard of that. And so there was um, a game that used to be played way back when. And, you know, like the people who were celebrating around the fire, what have you, they used to like hop around on the broom. Um, and so there's like a little trope that says like, you know, the myth developed because like onlookers would just see witches jumping off of uh, hills with like their broomsticks. And they're like, oh my God, like these women are flying on brooms. Um, not realizing that it was just like a group of people playing a game at a Sabbat um, or at a full moon celebration. Um, and it was more than one person, not just like one woman, just like up, up in a way. Uh, another thing that I remember hearing about or reading about is that like maybe someone was actually engaging with their psychic vision and they actually saw a witch astral projecting and you know it looked like she was riding a broom you know psychically Um, when it comes to a cauldron we do have cauldrons 
Uh, and those are very symbolic tools. They represent the womb of our goddess and everything comes from the womb of our goddess. Um, and when we wanna interact with that theology, if we wanna interact with that spiritually, sometimes we'll you know, put something in a cauldron and you know, take something out as if you know, our goddess is giving birth to it. Um, if we're doing some community work, maybe the high clergyhood, the high priestess, the high priest, the high priestess um, will preload a bunch of gifts or tools or what have you into the cauldron. Then over the course of ritual, you know, they take it around the people and pull stuff out of it, symbolizing that our goddess is giving birth to whatever it is that we are asking for or praying for. Um, you know, sometimes we put a charcoal disc in there and burn incense, powdered incense in the cauldron. I mean, carry that around as a, a fumigating. Um, so we do have rooms, we do have cauldrons, but we're not really about to double, double toilet travel around them. Okay. Another question. What about familiars? Oh, emotional support pets. <laughs> but yeah, we do believe in familiars that have been sent to us um, to help us maybe learn to care selflessly. Um, maybe, you know, we do get a pet that seems to be very interested in our magical practice and they'll come into our temple or our sanctuary room and they will, you know, give us some energy and help us with our magic for sure. Um, but we don't feed them from our bodies. Like you have a cat, you feed it cat food. You have a dog, you feed it dog food. You have a snake, you feed it, you know, rats or mice or what have you. Um, but the the possibility of a familiar or a familiar spirit um, being like a god, a goddess or a spirit guide coming to us in animal form to help guide us and protect us. You know, as we stumble across our magical journey, especially by ourselves, you know, without a teacher. Yeah, we believe that that's totally possible. Absolutely. This hour has gone by so fast. I learned, everybody's learned so much. Good job. Good, good job, chat room. Good job, chat room. I want to thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It was my pleasure. What's next for you? Uh, so I'm working on uh, building the Blue Door Institute, which is um, uh, a department in the seminary I was just telling you about mm -hmm. um, that trains witches to work in a counseling kind of format. So you got pastoral counselors who, you know, act as chaplains from other faiths. I want to increase the professionalism that, you know, is associated with witches doing our work to help people. Um, so, uh, you know, there's a course of study in the Blue Door for pastoral counseling, for organizational development and leadership. So people who want to build conscious organizations off of some of the principles associated with witchcraft. Um, so you have, you know, organizations that, you know, do particular work that is important to witches, which is that's their um, premarital counseling, peer education training. So clergy members of the faith who want to specialize in helping people understand you know, sex, the body, birth control, options counseling from a witchcraft perspective uh, that is possible through the Blue Door as well. And so I'm working on making that um, more accessible and getting the word out there about that. Fantastic. And how can people find you, sir? Uh, they can reach out to me on Facebook. I am Reverend Omega Phoenix. Uh, they can hit me up. They can, you know, reach me through the Blue Door. It's the Blue Door Events cnt.com um, and they can you know interact with me through there of course learn some things um, 
And then right now my uh, student load is full. I do have the maximum 20 students that I can take right now. But um, if you do join the school and you want me as a mentor, as some of my students graduate and level up, um, I will be taking on some new students. Um, and so you can interact with me in that way as well. Fair enough. Again, thank you so much. We'll have to get you back on. Absolutely. Have more chat about this. This was great. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I'm so here for it. You got it. All right. Well, thank you, sir. You have a good evening, okay? You too. Bye now. Bye-bye. All right. That was absolutely fascinating. Good questions from the chat room. Thank you, guys. Good to see Marisa. Good to see Jerry. Good to see Pat. Good to see uh, good, good to see Jen. Jen disappeared. Oh, there's Jen. <laughs> good to see Jen. So everybody was here. The gang was in. Fantastic. Uh, tomorrow now, we're going to be on at noon because our guest is from the UK. And her name is Danielle Silverman. And she's going to be talking about alien intentions. You know, uh, she believes that the aliens, you know, it's not so rosy out there when, when you get abducted. And so she's going to be talking about that. She's done study for years and years with a very famous ufologist. And so we're going to talk about it him as well so they were going to be with us or he she is going to be with us tomorrow at noon so be ready for that and of course for you guys that are working and everything of course it'll be available for you in the you know in the evening when you get off work so you can check it out and all that anyway again if you like the show if you like what you see be sure to share the show we're looking to get as many shares as possible so if you're on facebook watching this also you know do um do hit that like button and and that follow button because uh, we're trying to get as many followers as possible and get more buildup on this show. YouTube shows us no love. So that's the only, way we, the only way we've been able to do this the last three years is through word of mouth. And it's building up more and more, you know, between YouTube, Facebook and the RSS feed that goes out to the podcast. Um, the numbers keep growing and that's because you are out there sharing the show and get, and get the word out about this show. All right. If you're watching from YouTube again, uh, hit that, hit the ghost, click on that little ghost. And that will subscribe you. We've got more than 450 videos sitting over there on different topics. Remember, I'm a journalist, photojournalist. So I like to change it up every once in a while. Okay, so I'm going to be doing that. So just like uh, we talked to the, we talked to the Scientology gentleman on Tuesday, right? So different topics, different things going on. And I think if you go over and look at the YouTube page, there's a little something for everybody. Also, you can check out CaliforniaHauntsRadio.com. We've got some of our archived stuff from Blog Talk Radio over there, and YouTube now has it. There's an easier way to find us on YouTube, right? So instead of having to go through all that gobbledygook, all you have to do is go to youtube.com forward slash California Haunts at, or I'm sorry, forward slash at, with the little at sign, California Haunts Radio and the C H N R R all capitalized. So that's youtube.com forward slash at California Haunts Radio. Real simple. All right. Anyway, I want to thank you all for coming tonight, and I will see you tomorrow at noon. And I'm going to uh, go ahead and flash up his flash, <laughs> show you the, his information, and uh, you can get a hold of him if, if you so desire. You know, if you want to learn this stuff. And here we go. So he's got three websites: Corellian.com, C-O-R-R-E-L-L-I-A-N.com, HolisticWellnessAndRecovery.com. And, of course, witchschool.com. Okay. Anyway, I will see you guys tomorrow at noon. Have a great evening.